This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell, and joining me today in the studio are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar. We also have principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue, and on the phone, the TSO's music director, Elaine Trudell. And we also have a very special guest joining us by phone. That is, and I have a fanfare for you, that is composer Evan Williams. I'm honored. Yeah, I had to dress it up a little bit. Welcome, Evan. Thank you. you. (laughs) Now, we should mention that the reason that Evan is on the phone with us is because the TSO is presenting a piece of his in its world premiere, and this is part of the Romantic Rhapsodies concert. It's happening Friday and Saturday night, 8 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Museum of Art Paris Style. Evan has joined us to talk about his new piece and the connections to one composer in particular, I, this concert is entitled Romantic Rhapsodies, but I'm I'm kind of thinking at it, of it as all roads lead to Rachmaninoff because <laughs> you've got the Rachmaninoff Symphony Number no. 2, you've got Andre Mathieu's Piano Concerto Number no. 3, Andre Mathieu, a Canadian composer, we'll talk about him shortly, and Evan Williams, your piece is called a ghost wandering in a world-grown alien, which has nothing to do with ghosts or aliens, <laughs> but it, it is a quote from Sergei Rachmaninoff that uh, inspired exactly. this piece. So before we do anything else, Evan, let, let's hear from you what this piece is about. Yeah, so uh, Merwin contacted me, I guess, about a, a year ago uh, from now, and um he uh, mentioned that he wanted to um, have a new piece uh, for the Toledo Symphony. And um, before the pandemic, uh, members of the Toledo Symphony had played my uh, harpsichord concerto, Dead mm-hmm. White Man music, which, uh, Brad, you featured on your uh, yeah. your uh, living composers uh, from Bowling Green. And um, he said, you know, what we really like about your music is that you often engage with, like, nostalgia. And I was like, yes, I do do that. <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, Marvin mentioned that... Uh, uh, they would like a piece that engages with nostalgia around Rachmaninoff. And um, and so I started thinking about that, and I came across this quote uh, that he said. He was talking about how, uh, as we know, Rachmaninoff, um, uh, composer of the early 20th century and mid-20th century, uh, he was a little bit... Uh, almost behind the times, as it were. He composed in this very late romantic style when other composers were experimenting with atonal music and serialism and all that stuff. And he said uh, that he had tried very hard uh, to, you know, write in this style and to embrace this style, but he just couldn't, he, uh, he couldn't embrace it. It wasn't for him, and that's where that quote comes from. Yeah, we're very glad that it wasn't for him because he was, uh, you know, the quintessential romantic and wrote some of the Mm -hmm. great romantic pieces of his time. Can you talk a little bit about your music for this piece? Give us a little preview. Yeah. So it, 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 it's, it's interesting. You said there's no ghosts, but there sort of are. Um, <laughs> you sort of hear the, the ghost of, of, of Rachmaninoff's themes. I, I still themes from um, the Rhapsody on a Theme by Paganini, his second and third piano uh, concerti, um, his uh, liturgy. Um, and then I mixed them with uh, his contemporaries who were more uh, progressive, uh, like Stravinsky and Schoenberg. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and you also have, uh, there's electronics in the piece, uh, of some of those things and they're distorted and, uh, and changed in interesting ways. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's him almost like wandering through this, um, this forest of, of, of musical themes, uh, some by him that are distorted and some by his, uh, contemporaries. Well, you have ghosts, and it sounds like you have aliens, too, in this, in this piece. You were going to say, Merwin. I love the fact that you used the word stole, that you stole the themes, because, I mean, as we yes, know, good the, composers uh, borrow. Code, yes. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Great composers. Great composers steal. Thank you. Thank you, Igor Stravinsky. I do have to say, Evan, I saw that harpsichord performance at um, at the museum that we did. Yeah, yeah. one night. Mm-hmm. I, were you there for that? 
Yeah, I was. I was. I, yeah, I, was, I was so nervous for that uh, <laughs> because the, like it was premiered in New York, and you know New York is you know uh, hip and progressive. I've heard and of it. Before the, <laughs> before the concert, this guy behind me, I, he didn't know I was the composer. He was like, "Dead white man music." I wonder what that's all about. And <laughs> I got up. I, was like, I don't want to talk about it. And I got up and talked about it. And then when I uh, at the end, I got up and took my bow. That guy was the first guy to like stand up and give a standing ovation. I don't know. Perhaps it was he felt guilty. I remember how how beautifully the audience responded to it, and how... yeah, I I was so honored. Yeah. Well, and what's kind of cool about that piece is you have some quotations in that piece as well. You know mm-hmm. that, that hence the title, the dead white man music. And you do that in this Rachmaninoff piece, but it, it, that's not something that you commonly do, right? No, I I, I quote music all the time. I, okay. I have pieces, you know, based off of just you know, like one of my pieces, "Beautiful Death," is just a deconstruction of when I am laid on earth. Yeah, I, I love that taking uh, music of the past and you know recontextualizing it. That was nice. definitely kind of the the why I, I was like, oh, Evan's the perfect person for this because it's. Not, I mean, I think there's been so many times where, you know, composers are asked to create something in response to something. And as, as we mentioned previously, sometimes that can be, you know, that can feel artificial. But mm-hmm. I think that, mm-hmm. uh, but like, I, I've always thought that Evan is very thoughtful about how his music fits in with the tradition. It's also sometimes how it doesn't fit in, how it has to mm-hmm. challenge that, how, mm-hmm. it, how it has to reinvent that. And I, I thought that for a, especially for a composer like Rachmaninoff, who was so aware of that, I really thought that Evan would produce something very thought provoking. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, Evan, this is your first time on uh, Toledo Symphony Lab, and we have a tradition here, at least for the last few episodes, of uh, our ghost, I mean our guest, <laughs> coming in. I was actually reading your title when I said that. Our, our guest coming in for the first time uh, has to tell their story, right? So, Evan, what I want to hear from you, your story of how you got interested in music, a little bit of your background, anything you can say to get to know you a little bit better. And I've got some choices of music. I kind of went down the rabbit hole here. And let me give you four different choices, okay, for background music. So we've got this one. It's not really ghostly or anything like that. Sail away. Yeah, Yeah, there was a little little Enya in there, yeah. (laughs) I'm with you. Or an echo flow. Here's your story of music number two. Depends on what you're going to tell us. Here's your story number three, which is inspired by the romantic side of of Rachmaninoff. <laughs> Love it. So that's a little a little boom chicka bow wow there. And and finally we have your last one, which is the piano lounge lizard version. So, if you can remember now, which one do you I want? I think we're going to have to go with number one, Enya. Number one, you're going to go Enya? <laughs> yeah. All right. You got three and a half minutes to tell us your story. Just take it away. <laughs> okay. Well, so um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. And uh, originally, uh, I was not raised with classical music. Uh, my parents listened to a lot of music, but uh, uh, classical music wasn't one of them. Uh, my first exposure to orchestral music of any kind would have come from uh, film scores. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad was a huge fan of, of, of the Star Wars saga and, and movies like that. And so um, when I was first getting into music, I wanted to be a film composer like John Williams. Um, but uh, eventually uh, I went to college uh, in Wisconsin, the Lawrence uh, University Conservatory of Music, and you know, got into concert music and decided that that's what I would do. Um, after graduating from Lawrence, I uh, went to Bowling Green State University where uh, I met uh, Merwin and Brad and, and got to work with Toledo Symphony for the first time. Uh, from there, I did a doctorate at the University of Cincinnati, and uh, since then I've been uh, 
working a few teaching jobs, Bennington College, uh, back at Lawrence University, Rhodes College here in Memphis, and uh, in the fall, I'll start teaching at the Berkeley College of Music in Boston. That's great, and congratulations, by the way, on that uh, appointment in Boston. It's uh, really prestigious that you're going to be teaching at that uh, school. That's wonderful. Well, boy, you finished with plenty of time to spare, so I took the music (laughs) down. But (laughs) I would be good at those presidential debates. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I I love that you mentioned Star Wars and you talked about that because just last week, a week ago, the uh, Toledo Symphony did one of those concerts, you know, where they play the soundtrack, the John Williams soundtrack, and we watched the film, and it was The Empire Strikes Back. I did save this (laughs) sound effect (laughs) from our guest last week when we did our our Star Wars special, uh, Tony Geffes. So, you know, the ghost of Tony is with us still. (laughs) There's that ghost again. Yeah. Uh, You know. Of course, we just had May the 4th. That's right. We did it on, on May the 4th. May the 4th. That was the date of the concert. And... They did it at the Stranahan Theater, and boy, it was sold out. I mean, people were overflowing. Uh, there were costumed characters uh, there, I assume, from Disney, and we had Darth Vader, and we had all kinds of stuff oh. going on there. So people taking pictures out in the hallway. It was really a wonderful experience. Sorry you missed it, Evan. Yes, definitely. <laughs> see see what happens when you're off being a composer? <laughs> When you leave Toledo, yeah. Yeah, indeed. So it's it's interesting, um, the things that you said about growing up with music and being turned on by uh, the scores to those films and by John Williams. Um, you know, I think I can, I can hear a little bit of that cinema going on in your piece, and certainly in this piece from the way that you've described it uh, connected to uh, Rachmaninoff. Elaine, we haven't heard from you in a little while, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, well, let's talk about André Mathieu and this piano concerto number three, because André Mathieu, a Canadian composer whose life overlapped with that of Rachmaninoff, he was a, a, a child prodigy, and Rachmaninoff admired his work. Um, why don't you tell us who Mathieu was and this concerto in particular. And then I want to also ask you, Elaine, about uh, the pianist Jean-Philippe Sylvestre, because that's somebody that you know. And have you worked with him before? Yes. Uh, hello, Brad. Hello, everybody. Um, yes, of course. I, I, by the way, your French is great, huh? as usual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because um, you told you gave me a primer before we started. So. <laughs> c'est bon. Yes. <laughs> Oui, c'est, c'est bon. Uh, so, uh, let, let's start with André Mathieu. Okay. André Mathieu was, uh, as you said, a child prodigy, but uh, but very, very, uh, very, very young. He, he talked, he was maybe four months old, he walked, he was like maybe six, seven months old. And wow. he, started, he wrote his first music when he was uh, maybe four, three or four. So, it was very, very impressive. And, uh, you know, our society here, was not ready to have that. And that's, that, that, that's a very sad story, actually, because he did the, he was amazing. At, at six, seven, he did his first recitals. He went to play for Toscanini. He played Carnegie Hall as a pianist and composer before he was 10. Yeah. And finally, he wrote this, uh, not finally, but he, he wrote this concerto when he was 12, the Concerto de Québec. His third concerto. Now, don't look for one and two where you cannot find them. But uh, <laughs> the, the number three, it's, uh, it's called uh, Concerto, uh, Romantic Concerto, or uh, the Concerto of Quebec, uh, where he's from, uh, the province of Quebec. And then he went to study because the, the, you know, his, his father was a very well known composer of, uh, also. His name was uh, Rodolphe Mathieu. Very serious man, very serious composer. He had the connection. With uh, Wilfred Pelletier, who was the uh, uh, from Montreal also, but was the assistant of Toscanini at the Met, and uh, that gave them a special connection to to meet Toscanini to 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 premiere his concerto in New York as well when he was uh, twelve or thirteen on the piano as a composer. So it was a huge deal. And then he went to Paris and he studied with the best composers at the conservatory there. When he come back, when he came back. That's when it got sad a little bit. He was 
16, 17, and nobody was ready to have that kind of genius. We we weren't that uh, yeah. artistically uh, artistically evolved. We had a thing that was called the uh, the silent revolution in the in the sixties, uh, where, where I'm from. Because before that, it was very much uh, um, how could I say uh, uh, people people who would work in shops or people who would work in in uh, as lumberjacks and people who work before that. And the church was very nothing against the church, of course, but uh, here it was so predominant. And people would not go to school for a long time, and it all changed at the end of the uh, in the sixties, uh, and people started to uh, the, you know separation of church and state, and also people starting to have more and more an idea, uh, education, culture, um, also motivate businesses to to local businesses to to be more successful. So before that, being successful, and even at that time, successful or being very different or being like he was a genius was actually something a little negative. And and for him, he wind up not being understood, uh, alcoholic, he died in his 30s. What he did, he played piano tones and bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very sad story. But when he was very young, at the age of 11, 12, Rachmaninoff met him and in New York, and he heard him play, and he said, this, is, this person, this young person, is the only one that comes after me. Like, so a little mm. bit pretentious to say like that, but hey, he's working my But <laughs> nobody's as great as him. So, and and you can see there's. A, I wanted to call this program initially Rachmaninoff and his heir, mm-hmm. but uh, and people don't know Mathieu enough. So I thought maybe we introduce the genius, this young young adolescent genius. And you're talking today, about Mathieu or young, Evan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a little I, bit old, but I, 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 well, no, no, Evan's piece is amazing. No, Evan's piece is amazing, by the way. Yeah, it's great. And uh, I don't know if he talked to you about the what we're going to hear from Rachmaninoff in his piece that would merge into the orchestra. It's uh, no, no, it's it's something I I really adore, and and the Thank way you, he man. merged them together is so natural. I mean, a lot of composers do that and. It sounds it sounds like they work too hard at it. It sounds a little fake, but for him, so really, really natural. I can't wait to conduct it, and I'm very happy to do the premiere of his piece, and feel very, very grateful about that. But um, what an honor! Thank continue. you. Continue. I beg your pardon. He said thanks. Oh, I just said thank you, thank you so much. That's an honor. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. I listen. I mean. I if you if you don't do what you do, I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, no, no need for a conductor if you don't have pieces. <laughs> you know? uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Einstein also leave a quote about Mathieu talking about what a genius he was, and that coming from Einstein? I mean, that's pretty high yeah. praise. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's kind of unexplainable. You know, when you have a kid that talks at four months old, you know, mm. I mean, uh, and uh, I mean, with words, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and, mm-hmm. and he writes music when he, you know, when it's not like, it's like Mendelssohn, it's like Mozart, you know, yeah. it's, it's at that level that it's really, really sad that he couldn't go uh, on. Uh, André Mathieu is now being celebrated uh, after all these years, I mean. The, there's a film uh, about him that's been out for a few years. Uh, the hall we play in, Marcus and Lava, is called the Hall André Mathieu Hall. And uh, there's, there are musicians, Alain Lefebvre, pianist, and the pianist we're welcoming for a concert, Jean-Philippe Sylvestre. They're making a huge effort uh, to record all his music. Uh, I've actually conducted uh, Jean-Philippe Sylvestre two recordings with Orchestre Metropolitain, the Atma label of the Concerto de Québec, which we're going to hear, and also the, the, the fourth concerto. And uh, these, he actually also wrote some fantastic chamber music that Jean-Philippe also has recorded. So there, there's a, a movement now to, to recognize that genius, which is something special. And, you know, we didn't have that many. There's not that many in the world that happen in any generation. So it's, I, I think it's, it's more than time that we play more of his music uh, in Canada, but also abroad. So I'm very pleased to and to to, to present this important composer to Toledo. Yeah, it's wonderful. 
Uh, before we go any further, talking about uh, the, the composers, including Rachmaninoff, on this, uh, this concert, I've got a little quiz, and Evan, you can play at home as well, if you like. Awesome. It's the, the honor system, right? <laughs> so, because we can't see you, so we don't know what you're doing. Anyway, uh, the way that we do the quiz is I have five different questions here, and I'm going to ask them, and I'm asking you all to write down your answer, or uh, Evan, if you don't have a pencil, just remember, you know, five okay. different uh, letters here, A, B, or C. It's multiple choice. You get three choices for each question. The title of the quiz or not. is the Six Degrees of Sergei Rachmaninoff. Uh, really, it's only one degree because all the people on this quiz knew Rachmaninoff directly. So the idea is I give you um, the the action that they did, the way that they knew Rachmaninoff, and you name who it was, okay? So who allegedly conducted the prayer? Oh, Actually, I have some quiz music. Let me bring that up for you. <laughs> wow, that sounds just like Rome. Ro- 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 Rachmaninoff. Rachmaninoff. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Rogue One for a minute. We were back to Star Wars. But uh, Six degrees of Star Wars, right? Yeah. yeah. There's a little trombone action going on here, and that is uh, not in uh, Elaine's honor. It's actually in Evan's honor. Yay. Although, yeah. Oh, wait, Evan, you play the trombone? Yes, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Evan so is wait, a trombone. So wait a second. We're premiering two works by trombone it, composer conductors in consecutive <laughs> concerts? It, well, yeah. I mean, it's a trombone mafia thing. We don't talk about right. that, Oh, right? we don't talk about trombone. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they say, right? Yeah. You know what they say? The definition of a gentleman is somebody who can play trombone but doesn't. <laughs> is there room for someone who can't play trombone who doesn't that that would be my category yeah silence okay yeah. <laughs> so the first the first question is this who allegedly we're, conducted we're counting rests. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes who allegedly conducted the premiere of Rachmaninoff's first symphony while drunk allegedly uh, drunk, not allegedly conducted. Was it Alexander <laughs> Borodin? Was it Modest Mussorgsky? Or was it Andrei Mathieu? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so A, B, or C. Mm, All right, a. second question. Hang on, second question. Who showed Rachmaninoff a movie? Was it David Selznick? Was it Walt Disney? Or was it Howard Hughes? A, B, or C. Okay, third question. Who? Uh, okay, who was the fellow student of Rachmaninoff's at the Moscow Conservatory who described Rachmaninoff as lazy? Was it Reinhold Glier? Was it Alexander Scriabin? Or was it Aram Kachurian? Okay, A, B, or C. And what, was he, fir- what was the first one again? Glier. Glier. Okay. Glier, yeah. Okay, which was not a teacher of Rachmaninoff? Which person was not a teacher of Rachmaninoff? Was it Alexander Zilti, or was it Nikolai Zverev, or was it Pyotr Tchaikovsky? Okay. Are you making up these names? A, B, or C. Yeah, I'm making them all up. And the pronunciation, I'm making that up as well, as I often do. I think you got Tchaikovsky right. The final one here was, who was Rachmaninoff's literary hero when he was a teenager? When Rachmaninoff was a teenager, was it Leo Tolstoy, was it Alexander Pushkin, or was it Anton Chekhov? A, B, or C? Okay. We'll come back to that, actually, in a minute. Let me take out the uh, the music here. Let, let's talk a little bit about Rachmaninoff, because there's so much stuff to talk about in this Symphony Number no. 2. I mean, this has got mm-hmm. that, that great um, adagio movement, mm-hmm. right? Da, 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 da. Actually, Elaine sings it really well as okay. a country and western song. Oh, this I gotta hear. Elaine, are you well, still you there? Ripped, yes, I'm there. You ripped it up from a country tune. <laughs> Never gonna fall in love again. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're saying Rachmaninoff stole the the melody? Well, or? Bar- borrowed or stole? And, and then, yeah, and then and then he stole the other part from all by myself and then oh no it's a, oh wait a second he wrote all of this before them right yeah <laughs> the other people were clairvoyant must, <laughs> must be the most ripped off classical composer romantic composer ever <laughs> yeah so the symphony number 2 makes an appearance in some other subsequent 
compositions. Do you think we could add oh Elaine God. singing I'm Never Gonna Fall in Love Again to the soundboard, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have your daughter. <laughs> we have your daughter. We may as well add you, Elaine. <laughs> well, okay. Well. Good job, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there she is. Forever enshrined at age, whatever she yeah. was. I'm, I'm, can, can, can I tell you something about this symphony for me that's very personal? Please. Yeah. I've I've hesitated. It's the first time I'm going to conduct it. <gasps> really? I've, I've hesitated really? on programming it for the last 20 years. Mm. Why? Why was that? I've been studying it. Not really. I've been studying it. I've been uh, turning it to every possible side, uh, analyzing it. And I until this year, I just didn't get it. You know? Hmm. And, uh, of course, the melodies, yeah, you get. They're like, that that third moment, I mean, you know, with the, with the melody, which I won't sing again, is <laughs> is probably one of the most beautiful, like most melodies he wrote, right? One of the most melod beautiful melodic things ever. So that's not a problem. I mean, I I understood, you know, like like when you hear it, it's just beautiful. But there's so many layers, and uh, a little bit like uh, some of the people that uh, critique him that say, well, you know, it's a uh, it's a little bit dated. I had one conductor who was a big mentor of mine that said, it's like an old ham. You have to put a lot of uh, mustard on it to, so that it tastes like something. And Oh, oh ham, like ham. That. I thought you said hand. <laughs> Uh, like an old hand. Also not, 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 not incorrect. Yes, a ranch hand, maybe. But, but. You, know, you, you know what I personally <laughs> discovered for myself is that, and it happens a lot in romantic music, is that you have to you have to decide like there, there's often like five six layers and the problem is that often people are a little lazy you know because they're so melodic that you just go with the flow but you actually have to clean up every layer and you have to decide you know is it layer two is it layer five that's the principal one at that part or that part and there's a lot of that and also you you cannot change the nature of it it's still like you know romantic music that talks about you know we're just getting in the it's like autumn end of winter it's that kind of feeling it took me a long time to understand sibelius as well mm. and uh, there, there's a little bit of similarities for mm. me in the in in the length of the phrase of the breath and i was mm. not ready i couldn't have that length of breath that he has and now this year i finally feel like i get it but it took a lot of effort. It's an, it's it doesn't take a lot of effort to enjoy it when you listen to it. Yeah. It just takes a lot of effort. If you're going to be the the one constructing the art for the people to enjoy it, I don't want to shortchange anybody when I conduct. So I I just felt like man, I I need to understand the arc of this piece, the architecture really well. But to to bring a phrase from beginning to end. So this is a big moment for me personally because I I finally I'm finally doing it. That's I actually helped. I actually helped him out a lot. I just told him basically the second violin part is always the most important line, <laughs> and then it, it just cleared up the entire piece for him. Right, right. Are wow, you know, self service at all. I, I thought it was the trombones, but I guess we we've, we've gone to violin now. Alain, can I ask a question? I I, I yeah. I'm fascinated by what you're saying because first of all, I've, I've seen you conduct. You know the concerti. I know you you recently conducted yeah. all five in a weekend. Yeah, um, the piano concertos. Indeed. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, all four plus rack bag uh, tw twice in the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ten concertos in the three days. <laughs> wow. But um, so, how do you how how do you look at the concerti versus? the symphonies of Rachmaninoff because as a as a listener I I, I consider them very differently uh, from a, a consumer standpoint I, I, but I'd love to ask you that question now that you've kind of well we got to talk in. about the symphony number one because you know well maybe not but <laughs> you know you look at two you look at uh, the bells you look yeah. at Isle of the Dead I mean his his compositions were very different at that level versus uh, the concerti I'd just be interested in your oh, thoughts on that. First of all, like Ben Enough was a conductor. So he was conductor of the Bolshoi. I mean, he was a yeah, big deal when he was young in his 20s. And, and then he, but what he really wanted to be was a composer. And you see more and more as he writes his piano concerto, uh, concertis. And now the fourth is, uh, is, a, hmm. is like a composer's concerto. 
and and the Rachmaninoff Paganini variations are like a, kind of a mm. as much for the orchestra as the piano, mind you, the piano is mm-hmm. really hard. But uh, Rachmaninoff wanted to be a composer, so he started conducting. He was very uh, always efficient, super talented, very impressive. Huh? He's six foot six. I mean, you know, it's, it's quite a uh, something. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. and he wrote his first symphony. And he got panned because, well, mainly because of the first quiz question of today. Conductor showed up uh, drunk, and uh, nobody really rehearsed it. And as I said, if you if you don't take care of those uh, of those layers and recommend enough, it sounds like bad music, and it's not. And it's totally the fault of the interpreter. Yeah. And, uh, actually, there's a new recording with Philadelphia and Yannick conducting of the first symphony. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. He totally got the thing about the layers, about it. And, uh, and, and then you can enjoy the symphony. And you cannot believe that it bombed that much. Like uh, so much that he went into a depression. And, mm-hmm. you know, composers, you, as you know, Evan, you basically, mm-hmm. it's like you take all your clothes off and you say, well, this is what I am, you know. And people can mm-hmm. see all. Numbers. Evan, keep your clothes on during the podcast, okay? We we can't see you, but we use our imagination. No, no, no but you, you know you can you feel that people can see if you're uh, if you're not perfect, if it's a little fat here, if you're uh, if, you know if you don't look. That, so you always feel very sen- It's it's really really sensitive, sensitive, you know, because it's basically who you are. You put it out there. If people don't play it well, if people don't like it, uh, I mean, uh, you can have some people like, don't like, but if it's like a complete disaster, like running Ross first symphony, it can affect you a lot personally. So he didn't write one note of music for six years, and he left, uh, and, and when the, um, the first revolution happened in 1905, uh, no, not the big one, but the, the first one in and, and Russia, he left, he went to, to Germany, and he... he he secretly started to write the second symphony without telling anybody because he, he thought like, you know, if it's not, not going to pan out, I, I'm just not going to do it. But then somebody spilled the beans on him and then they had to do it. <laughs> and it was an immense success. So for me, is that Rikmaninov is concerti, especially, you know, one, two, three. There are more something uh, that's, uh, it's not that it's uh, facile, like easy. It's just that, you know, they have, a special uh, utility, especially when he moved to the States. He needed to uh, to go around, earn a living, play the beautiful melodies that he does. He wrote himself concertos, exactly like Mozart wrote his five violin concertos. He wrote, Mozart wrote his five violin concertos to get out of his gig with the, with the Archduke uh, Colaredo because uh, the, the guy couldn't stand him. He said, okay, yeah. I'm going to be a concert violinist. I'm going to tour Europe and I'll be out of this gig. Hmm. And that's that. Rachmaninoff did that to earn a living, except that he left us some of the most wonderful concerto with the, the with all mm-hmm. his concertos. So, uh, but very different. It's uh, you know, there's certain um, utility to that, and the composition is something else. It's what he really wanted. So, it's uh, and you can hear it in the symphonic poems that he wrote as well. Yeah. Sorry for the lengthy answer. No, that's okay. I, I want to talk more about Rachmaninoff, but first I want to go back to. Our little quiz, right? And let's get the answers down for uh, the quiz the quiz part that we did. Um, you mentioned, Elaine, about the first symphony of Rachmaninoff, the conductor being drunk. That was our first question. I'm sure you all got this, right? The answer was A, Alexander Borodin. See, I don't think... Yeah. I, I'm going to push back on that. I thought it was Glazunov. Well, Elaine, you have to settle it for us. Who conducted Rachmaninoff's first <laughs> symphony at the premiere? Uh, Merwin is right. Yeah, I don't know why I have Borodin down here. <laughs> I well, don't have I don't have the answer listed. So, so Borodin was a chemist, so maybe he made the alcohol that <laughs> yeah. got Glazunov drunk. So maybe it's all tied together. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Elaine, have you ever conducted a, a piece while drunk? <laughs> Don't answer that. I, I, don't, I don't drink. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, but I, I, have, I have conducted concert while having a kidney stone. Oh, my. I, I, and, and, uh, and I did one of the fastest Beethoven seven <laughs> ever because I needed to get out there and go to the hospital, but that's about it. Wow. <laughs> now I feel bad about the background music. But uh, <laughs> let's continue with our answers here. The second question was, who showed Rachmaninoff a movie? The answer was B, Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? 
Mm-hmm. He, he showed uh, a movie, Mickey Mouse playing the uh, third concerto. Is that right? Yeah, the prelude. I just have C3. I'm assuming it's concerto three. Or So know. there's a story about that. I'll come back to that after our quiz is over. Okay, we'll make a note of that. Who got that one? Showed Rachmaninoff movie. Yeah. yeah, okay. I didn't. No. Evan, you can lie about everything because you're on the no. phone. <laughs> <laughs> but so can you, uh, Elaine. All right, the next one. F- who is the fellow student of Rachmaninoff's at the Moscow Conservatory who described Rachmaninoff as lazy? I'll add that they later became great friends, and Rachmaninoff was very, very depressed. He was depressed about everything, but uh, when this person died, it affected him deeply. Was it Reinhold Glier? Was it Scriabin? Or was it Kachaturian? A, B, or C? The answer that I have, and it may be wrong, is B, Alexander Scriabin. Yeah? Did not get that one. Did anybody I, I get that? Glier. I had Glier as well. Yeah. Yeah, he was a huge critique of Rachmaninoff at the beginning, like big critique of it. Which doesn't make sense to me, because I honestly think that they're not that different. I mean, how many times do you see Scriabin and Rachmaninoff on piano recitals together? I mean, they're... I think it's not the piano thing, it's the composition, orchestra composition thing, because Fiavin, you know, he said Rachmaninoff was a re- reactionary, like uh, stuck yeah. in the old days. <laughs> so so he wrote yeah, his piano concerto as a reaction to Rachmaninoff. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great concerto, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Who was not a teacher of Rachmaninoff? Zilti Zverev or Tchaikovsky? A, B, or C? I'm going to go with C because Tchaikovsky was not his formal yeah. teacher. Yeah. He was at the Moscow yeah. Conservatory, and, and he was more of a mentor, I think, than a teacher, per se. Yeah. So the answer, for the purposes of the quiz, is C. Yay. you all get C? Yay. I feel like Zverev played for the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll save that for a not later the podcast. <laughs> not yeah. the Memphis Redbirds? Not the Memphis Redbirds. Who was who was Rachmaninoff? Yeah, with the Boston <laughs> Orioles or whatever they are. No, that's Baltimore. <laughs> yes, not a hockey fan, huh? <laughs> anyway, you can't do better than this. Who was Rachmaninoff's literary hero as a teenager? Was it Leo Tolstoy? Was it Alexander Pushkin? Or was it Anton Chekhov? They were also a, cheerful. Or C. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just like Rachmaninoff, I mean, maybe that's why he was drawn to uh, this particular composer who inspired a tone poem of his mm-hmm. that he wrote when he was 19 years old. Also, you you might think that he named it after himself, but he named it actually after something else, The Rock, right? Mm-hmm. R-O-C-K, The Rock, which was based on Anton Chekhov. So I'm going to go with C. Did you all get C, Anton Chekhov? Nope, I made I, I made a mistake. There. I didn't. I guess totally. I had to, well. I had Pushkin. I had Pushkin. So you and I were together on that. Yeah, I, he yeah. did. He did do something I, basically. I got it actually, but it was just luck. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, well we're gonna say that Evan won that quiz because he's a special <laughs> oh. guest. <laughs> special <laughs> guest always wins the quiz. It's really hard for Yay. Brad to count. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't keeping track. <laughs> I, I was thinking it was probably either Elaine or maybe Merwin or Zach, but then I gave it to Evan, so, okay. <laughs> Just like a presidential debate. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Um, that in 1942, that meeting with Rachmaninoff and Walt Disney mm-hmm. also included Vladimir Horowitz. And Horowitz and Rachmaninoff were big fans of Disney. And I'm going to challenge your your research a little bit because I didn't think it was the third piano concerto. I think Mickey Mouse plays the um, C sharp minor play, prelude. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that, it, that's what it is. It's uh, I think the film is the Opry House. If I'm thinking about that, it's yeah. a wow. 1920s um, Mickey Mouse animation. But um, you know, if you want to think about that, that means that Rachmaninoff meets Walt Disney in. Um, Brother, can you spare a dime? The uh, that documentary. Walt Disney is part of that, or uh, Humphrey Bogart is part of that, and Walt Disney is part of that. It's a it's a documentary. They didn't actually meet together, but let me bring up some music for you, Zach. Okay, so so that takes us from Rachmaninoff to Disney to Humphrey Bogart, and you know Bogart also appears in um, 
Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid. Uh, another kind of pastiche where you have a bunch of different famous uh, Hollywood legends uh, working with Steve Martin in 1982. So that gets us from Rachmaninoff to Disney to Bogart and now to Steve Martin. <laughs> and of course, if you're paying attention, um, a few years after that in 2001, Steve Martin um, appeared in the, the dentist movie called Novocaine with uh, Laura Dern and Helena Bonham Carter and Kevin Bacon. <laughs> well done. So that takes us from Rachmaninoff to Kevin Bacon. Yes, six degrees of separation, right? Was, How many degrees did you do it in? That was one, two, three, four. Four degrees, yeah. wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, very, very good. In well, case you were wondering why Zach didn't make as many comments <laughs> as usual in the first part of the episode. Oh, no, I yeah. just came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you knew the movies, but you were just com- comprising the narrative thread. <laughs> there, there is actually another uh, um, a Walt Disney to Humphrey Bogart connection, uh, huh. but we won't go into that. Okay. Yeah. We won't talk about that, right? <laughs> we don't talk about Humphrey. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. So let's talk some more about this symphony number two, because I want to bring up this uh, melody. Right? Which sort of haunted Rachmaninoff for his entire compositional career. He used that theme in lots of different works, and there's even a quotation of it, an indirect quotation in the symphony number two. Who wants to talk about that? I didn't know there was a quotation of it. In yeah. Uh, well, I yeah, may have made that up, but there is. What do you say, Elaine? Yeah, there is. Yeah, second moment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm right. You know, like the, the yep. thing there. Yep. It's, uh, there's one more note in it. And then when the brass play it uh, by uh, documentation and diminution uh, later, uh, you, you hear it a bunch in that moment. He's super obsessed about that. But, you know, mm-hmm. the guy's always depressed. And, the, and then the, you need to have a DSR in there. I mean, it's uh, yeah. the, the, it has that uh, nostalgia as music, a constant nostalgia. And it's somebody who cannot, uh, who cannot live in his, his country either. You know, his country, mm-hmm. what he thought of his country was taken away, you know. And uh, he had to emigrate and he had a good life. But it was not where, you know, where he was born and where he wanted to be. Yeah, and it didn't take you 20 years to find that melody in the Second Symphony, right? That's not what held you back? <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. Okay. The, the, for me, the second movement was, was the gateway to the symphony. It was the, the, the threshold to the symphony. That, that's how I got in. Because yeah. I, I, was not, uh, I was not able to, to get, the, especially the first movement. I, the thing is that, you know what really bugged me is that I started listening to it and I, well, many, many years ago, many decades ago, and it's the problem with it is that not so many people respect his music because people always said, oh, it's too long. And so there are no, no less than 29 versions of cuts and Rachmaninoff's hmm. uh, Second Symphony. <laughs> wow. I, I went through all of them. <laughs> and and mm. we're doing Rachmaninoff Symphony from beginning to end, no cuts. You know, mm. And that's as he wrote it and that's as we should play it. The only thing we're not doing is the repeat of the first movement because that's a choice you can do or not do. But we're not we're not taking any music away. Uh, it's fifty eight minutes. Yeah. Wow. That's and, great and, and, and how many cuts are you using in the Evan Williams piece? <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> Actually, Evan, I was kidding. <laughs> um, because I mean, we were talking about how Rachmaninoff himself is using so many, you know, so many allusions and quotations, and you consciously decided to very specifically reference, you know, so many different composers. How did you choose the themes from Rachmaninoff? I mean, it's like going into this giant garden and trying to choose what vegetable to yeah. harvest. Low hanging fruit. And, and did you use the Diasire theme? <laughs> I did not use DSRA, um, and to answer Merwin's question, I, I mean, the easy answer is I just chose my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yay! Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Well, tell us again what those are. I mean, obviously, you you quoted the uh, Paganini Rhapsody, right? Yes. Uh, so it's, we start with the um, second concerto, the opening of the second concerto in C minor, uh, and then there's the yes, the the third concerto, 
uh, and then the Rhapsody on Paganini. Um, there's uh, one of my favorite pieces. Uh, you know, his vocal music mm-hmm. doesn't get the respect it deserves, I feel. Uh, and, and a lot of people yeah. love the Vespers, but I love his liturgy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I quote the second movement of his liturgy. Um, uh, what else? I feel like I'm forgetting something. Now, when uh, you do the, the piano concertos, are you using pianos in this piece, or, or is it oh, orchestral? So I was not allowed to use a piano. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, the deal we made was that I got to use electronics. And uh-huh. so um, I'm using um, a piano sound uh, of electronics, and uh, that's cool because I get to, like, you know, uh, make it sound, sometimes I get to make it sound like it's an old archival recording, even though it's not. Um, or sometimes cool. I get to make it sound like it's, you know, uh, distorted and in the distance. And so that was a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, it uses uh, sounds of pianos. And I love that you go to the vintage sound because Rachmaninoff happens to be one of these composers that we can actually hear performing. Yeah. And it's all in yeah, those yeah, 1920s. I, I, his own recording of the second symphony, but I didn't want to get in trouble with like Columbia or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's uh, it's in public domain by now. Um, I actually just got it. So I collect 78s, but I got a uh, Rachmaninoff 78 from 1909. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. It's just amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Hey, Zach, t- yes. T- tell us how many... How many 78s it takes to have a full concerto? <laughs> oh my gosh, it's Is hilarious. this a dad joke? <laughs> no, it's these things are, <laughs> no, no, you know, it's, true. It, it's, it's probably, um, uh, I, I'm thinking about, I have the Rock 2 or Rock 3, yeah. and I think it's... With Horowitz, right? With Horowitz, right. Uh, I think it's 10 yeah. sides. Wow. Mm. Yeah, maybe maybe 12. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but how many how, how many records does it take to change a light bulb? Though? That's that's the question we all want to know. It, it, actually, you never get to the light bulb because you just keep going around and around and around and around. <laughs> oh man, good one. Good one. Now, Zach, you had a story you were going to tell and you asked me to remind you of it later. Remember? Or, or did you just tell the story? I thought it was the Disney. It one. was the Disney thing. Oh, the yeah. Disney yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. But, but you look at me that way. I, you know, I haven't slept a lot this week, Brad. He sent me into a state of listen, panic. I woke up at two o'clock a.m. this morning. So yeah, I you didn't get very get much excited sleep. about this podcast. I can see. I was indeed. Well, but, I, you know, I, I, if I think about the Rock too, I do remember seeing this as a as a boy uh, at the Toledo Symphony and uh, just being. Uh, enraptured by the, uh, it, I referred to the layers before, and you know, the, Rachmaninoff's music is is quite lush, yeah. and I I have a I remember where I was sitting. I was on the main floor, right of center, uh, about halfway back uh, when I saw the the Rock Two uh, performed uh, Second Symphony, and um, I, I put that down as a you know very special evening of my childhood because it was so memorable. I'm excited to hear it again. I don't know that I've really seen it since then, uh, performed yeah. live. And, uh, of course, to to pair that with this wonderful inspiration from Evan Williams in a premiere, I, this is going to be such a fine, fine performance. So so, so just to add uh, something on, on what Zach was saying about, you know, the layers that you were referring to what I said, is that the, the, the big challenge is that if you cut it too, too lean, it's not recommend enough anymore, you know. So you have to find the right dosage that it doesn't become all of a sudden like uh, too light, uh, too French. It's mm. still, it's still like you know, the, the very romantic, thick Russian music. But it's it's quite a challenge, and I I, I really hope uh, everybody will. Uh, will appreciate the work we put in. So let me add another layer onto your comment about layers, onto <laughs> my comment about layers, which is on your comment about layers. Do you sense that there was a reason that Rachmaninoff had such a special relationship with the Philadelphia Orchestra? Was there something unique about that ensemble that suited his music? Well, you know, you can't, you cannot talk about the Philadelphia Orchestra without talking about the Philadelphia sound. Mm-hmm. We won't go into that too much, but I'm sure the first time he heard that sound, he said that's the sound, you know, that's that that's kind of sound that my 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 melody must have. Yeah. Mm. Too bad he never heard the Toledo Symphony, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the, Toledo has a special connection also with Playwright Man enough a, a lot, you know. Yeah, six degrees. Right there. <laughs> True. <laughs> Only one. Toledo Symphony plays Rachmaninoff. One. Yeah. One one degree <laughs> of separation. We get this opportunity to hear Rachmaninoff's Second Symphony. We get to hear, um, you know, an air in 
in uh, Andre Mathieu, and then we get to hear Evan Williams looking back to Rachmaninoff and, and celebrating some of his favorite themes. So it's it's a very Rachmaninoff-centered performance, even though it's not all Rachmaninoff. Um, but this also is really special because the the wonderful couple who's underwriting the the performance, uh, John and Barbara Burson, love Rachmaninoff. And when they saw this originally on our um, schedule, I don't know when we originally pandemic programmed this, but uh, it's yeah. one of these things that we finally get to celebrate. They've been looking forward to this performance for two years now. And uh, I just, I love it when we can take somebody's interest and passion and find a perfect performance like this to celebrate what what really moves them. So uh, really excited for that too. Yeah. Evan, were you given an extra two years then during the pandemic to write this piece? <laughs> no, uh, this was, uh, we uh, could, thought about this collaboration in the middle of the pandemic. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I actually feel like this version of the program, this iteration of it is, it's, uh, there's, no, there's such a weird thing to say that there are side benefits to a pandemic, <laughs> but this yeah. program is a more fully realized program than it would have been like two or three years ago. It's that yeah. definitely the right version of the program for this. Yeah, absolutely. So Evan, you're sort of like the great, great, grandchild of Rachmaninoff, I think, <laughs> on this this program. Well, it's happening uh, this Friday and Saturday. It's May 13th and 14th at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Museum of Art Paris style. The Romantic Rhapsodies concert, we'll link to that, from the uh, podcast. It's conducted by Elaine Trudel with pianist Jean-Philippe Sylvestre, music of Sergei Rachmaninoff, also André Mathieu, and Evan Williams, who has joined us by phone today. Evan, we can't wait to see you here in Toledo and to hear this wonderful music. Thanks so much for joining us on Toledo Symphony Lab. Thanks for having me. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. And don't forget to check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at ToledoSymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO's streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. My thanks to Zach Vassar, Elaine Trudell, Merwin Sue, and special guest composer Evan Williams. I'm Brad Cresswell. You've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.